Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. We're on to part five of our Usual Suspects series, which is really, really good. And uh, I don't know, maybe you need to be around my age to know or understand this, but does anyone know uh, those Choose Your Own Adventure books? Did anyone read them? Yes. Um, so maybe for those that don't know them, um, there's a whole series of you know these books, um, and uh, I used to love uh, reading them. I used to love reading them for a couple of uh, different reasons. Um, yeah, so these are just uh, some of them. Um, you know, to, to uh, spark your memory, but uh, what would happen is you'd, you'd read through part of the book and then you'd get to like the bottom of the page and uh, you'd have a choice and it would say like, you know, if you want to chase the bears further into the woods, you know, turn to page 47, but if you want to turn back and run away and hide, turn to page 100 and so then you got to actually choose uh, the adventure that you would go on, you'd choose how to read and uh, so... As I said, the, I, I like these books for a couple of reasons. One was that uh, one of my teachers, uh, my English teachers, uh, used to make us read a hundred pages, or sorry, four books that were a hundred pages each, uh, at least every term, and we had to give them the, you know, give our teacher the title of the books. And having dyslexia, reading a hundred pages would have taken me all year. And so, um, so what I would do is I would read through and I would try to work out the fastest way to die, the fastest way to get to the end of the book, so that maybe I only had to read about 10 pages and then I would go up to my teacher and claim, I read this 100-page book. But the other thing, uh, the other reason that I liked it is because to me, um, you know, fiction books... Um, don't really hold a lot of appeal, like, why do I care about some guy called Mr. Darcy or, you know, someone that I don't know that's not real, like, I, I don't really connect with those things. But in these books, it's often me who's the character, you get to be the character, you get to make the, the choices and, you know, decide what you're going to do. And so sometimes you would read it through and uh, you could decide that you were going to be conservative, that you're going to make all the, all the safe choices, all the safe options. But then you could read through the same book again and you could make all the heroic choices, all the bold, courageous choices and depending on how you would read it and the decisions that you would make would determine the path that you took through the book. And I think that in life sometimes we want to choose what characters we get to play. Sometimes we want to be conservative, but sometimes we want to be bold, we want to be the hero. So maybe for those that are you know, a bit younger than what I am and can't relate to those stories, I think that the modern day equivalent is those uh, Facebook quizzes that they get you to do. Like, you know, if you were... A Disney princess. What Disney princess would you be? So for me, I took the quiz. Just, just purely for research purposes, for the, for the purpose of this message. Uh, do you want to know what Disney princess I am? Okay. I am Mulan. That's who I am. Family is important to you. Being true to your heart. Uh, all I need is a dragon and a cricket and I'll be unstoppable, apparently. <laughs> I don't know about that part, but I think all we need is the family of God and all we need is the Holy Spirit and then we are unstoppable. But I wonder, Jacob, what Disney princess... Have you done that quiz? Do you know what Disney princess you are? Does anyone know what Disney princess... Who's done the quiz? Who's done the quiz? Shannon, what Disney princess are you? Who is it? The, the brave girl. Oh, the brave girl. Oh, yes. Very good. You're the brave one. 
Cool, cool. Very good. So, yes. What, what Disney princess are you, Annie? Ah, oh, that's not true. That's not true at all, Annie. So, as I said, today we are in part five of our Usual Suspects series. And again, Tash shared a couple of weeks ago that The Usual Suspects is, in fact, a movie and uh, where they get these five different characters together. There's been a, a murder that has taken place and so this police officer arrests these five people and they, the usual suspects, they're all criminals, but he listens to all of their stories and he's trying to work out, based on their character, based on their particular story, who is the most likely one to have committed this crime. But today, instead of trying to catch a killer or work out what Disney princess we are or work out how we would read through that choose-your-own-adventure story, we're looking at six different characters from the Bible to work out how and why we make the decisions that we make, that maybe we can see ourselves in some of these characters because the decisions that we make in life will drastically alter where we end up, the path that we take. Now, Murray Bridge has the unfortunate title, several times has been named this, has been named the Ice Capital of Australia and that's not because on Thursday, we had a morning frost. It's nothing to do with that. And so being a pastor in this town, um, an involved, engaged pastor, I have actually broken up more than one drug deal, more than one drug party. And so um, many of you will remember, we were just advertising our She Conference coming up. And uh, many of you might remember back to the very first She Conference that we had for this year, the very first Dust Session, and we had a guest speaker by the name of Nat Taylor. And uh, she came on the, on the Sunday as well, and uh, she spoke a bit of a prophetic word over me. And if you weren't here, I'll just I'll remind you of what that was, but she said um, that she saw me at about 9.30, 10 o'clock this Saturday night before, that I was standing on a footpath and uh, that I was surrounded by darkness. I was standing outside of a house and there was darkness in this house and I had to uh, sort of go into that uh, house or felt like I had to go into that house and uh, bring the light of God into that house. And where I was at 10 o'clock on that Saturday night was standing on a footpath in the dark, having tried once and failed to break up a drug party that was going on inside this house. And I was standing out there and she said it was like that God saw me and he saw, you know, sort of this, she called it a micro slump in my shoulders that I was feeling down, I was feeling discouraged in in that moment. And I was, I was standing there and I'm just like, okay, it's Saturday night, it's 10 o'clock at night, I've got to preach tomorrow. Um, If if I go back in and things go bad, I I might end up with like a black eye and then if... If I have to see a visitor tomorrow, if there's someone that's their first time in church and they ask me how I got a black eye and I have to say I got it last night at a drug party, (laughs) it's not going to be the best first impression that I want to make. And I don't really want to go back in and it's kind of scary, but I kind of, I need to save and protect the people that are inside, that this is my town, these are my people and I'm not going to let that happen in my town as I'm standing there and I'm praying, God, help me be like Hosea. 
help me be like Hosea. That was my prayer in that moment. And got the, the people out, preached the, the message, everything went okay, no black eyes. And a couple of days later, God spoke to me and he said, so you want to be Hosea? Do you know what the story of Hosea is really all about? Now, sometimes I am a bit slow, but I've come to know this, that when God asks a question, it's not because he wants to give a factual answer. So he didn't want me to stand there and say, well, you know, the book of Hosea was probably written 750 BC, and around the time the northern and the southern kingdoms were divided, that Hosea is the first of the 12 minor prophets. No, that's not the answer that he was wanting. And I realized that he wasn't wanting me to give an answer, that he was actually wanting to show me something. He was actually wanting to change my perspective, that obviously my picture of Hosea was not his picture of Hosea. And so in that moment when he asked me that question, I simply said, show me. And so all I want to do today is show you what he showed me. But first of all, I want to show you my perspective of Hosea and then take you through the way that God changed my perspective on this. Is that okay? And we do that. All right, so we're going to read through just a sample of some of the verses to give us an idea of what's happening in this story, what's happening to Hosea. So we're starting at chapter 1, verse 2. It says, when the, Lord, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute who will bear illegitimate children conceived through prostitution. So Hosea married Gomer. Then she conceived and gave birth to a son. Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Name him Lo-Ami, because these people are not mine, and I am not their God. Then the Lord said to me, Go, get your wife again, and bring her back to you and love her, even though she loves adultery. So somewhere in between chapter uh, 1 and chapter 3 there, it's not said, but presumably she's gone back to this life of prostitution if he has to go back and get her back. And it goes on to say, So I brought her back, I bought her back from her slavery for 15 pieces of silver and a large amount of barley and a portion of wine. And I said to her, You must live alone for many days. Do not go out with other men nor be a prostitute. And I will wait for you. I will wait for you. So just like in those choose-your-own-adventure books, if we try to put ourselves in the story, if we try to put ourselves in the shoes just for a moment of Hosea and think about what it must have been like, that his career was that of a prophet. He was the mouthpiece of God. He spoke words that God wanted him to speak. So God asking him to do this, God not just speaking to the nation of Israel, this divided nation, but God speaking directly to him and telling him to marry a prostitute would have not only meant the end of his relational life, because a prophet was only supposed to have one wife and that wife was supposed to be for life. But it also would have meant the end of his career. Because who now is going to want to come and listen to a supposed prophet 
who's married to a prostitute? Who's going to want to come and listen to a guy who, who these kids, there's a doubt, there's a question that they're even his. God told him right at the beginning that she's going to have kids that won't belong to him. And so out of the three kids, I wonder how many times Hosea would just wonder, is one of them mine? Or are they all not mine? I mean, I know that the third child was called not mine, and so there's a pretty good indication and seeing that that Gomer left not long after that to go back into prostitution, there's a pretty good idea that the last one's not mine, but maybe, maybe the first son is mine. Maybe I'm at least going to have some legacy to pass on because everything else has been taken away from me. Everything else has been shattered in my life. And again, if I was Hosea, at that point where Goma had left, I would have thought, this is my chance to get out. These kids aren't mine. My wife has left. I I have every legitimate reason to just walk away. No one would blame me. No one would worry I could walk away scot-free and, and, and feel no guilt because she's the one that's walked away. I'm, I'm justified in that. I can, you know, I can just, I can start again. I can rebuild my career. I can rebuild my life. If this is a choose-your-own-adventure book, we get to start again and read again from the beginning and maybe do it a bit differently this time. But then God says... No, I just, I just want you to turn to the next page. I, I want you to keep living for me. I want you to keep being obedient for me. I actually want you to go back in, to go back and get her back. And I think that all of us have been there at least once in our lives. That this is actually not just Hosea's story, that this is actually our story. That all of us at one time or another have felt like that we've followed the will of God. That we've felt like, you know, we prayed for that job. It was the job for us. But we didn't get it. Or we've been praying for our kids praying that they would you know, be strong in their faith, that there would be a connection, a relationship again with, with the family. But they seem to move further away, deeper into isolation. We got our life group together and we, and we prayed for a good diagnosis. Everybody in the life group was praying. They're all, you know, faith-filled people. They're all praying. We're all praying for the one thing. It's a good thing. It's a godly thing for, for our health. And then all of a sudden, the diagnosis comes back, and it's worse than what we feared. And we've all been there in the dark, on the side of the road, crying out, God, where are you? I've done my part. I did exactly what you said to me. I did exactly what you asked of me. I did my bit. Why can't you do yours? I'm sure we've all been there at least once in our life. Exactly where Hosea is. But then... Rather than just remain a helpless victim, Hosea, it's like he switches characters. It's like he has this choice at the bottom of the page. 
But he can either remain a victim, remain a victim of the circumstances, remain a, a victim of what his wife has done to him. But he doesn't. He, he turns the page. He makes this choice. And it's like he switches and he becomes the hero and he bursts back in and he comes after Goma and he saves her from a life of prostitution and he saves the day. And this is the story of Hosea and this is our story. This is what we want to be and let's pray. No one's praying. You know that my messages don't go that short. But that's not actually the end of the story. That's the story that I read. That's who I wanted to be when I was standing in that dark place. I wanted to just somehow switch my characters, become that hero and burst back in there. But just like in the movie, The Usual Suspects, there's a twist. Not all the characters are who they appear to be. That we don't actually get to be the hero in this story. You see, in my version of the story, Goma, this wife, it's like she is the problem. She is the bad situation. The bad situation that comes to my life, the bad situation that comes to your life. And then Hosea, he gets to come in and be the hero. He gets to come in and save the day. So then, if, if Gomer's the villain and Hosea's the hero, then what's God? Maybe, maybe if Goma's the victim. Maybe if she's, if she's the victim, just something went wrong in her upbringing, she was rejected. Maybe, maybe she's the victim and Hosea's the hero. And then God... So then God, all that's left is the villain... It wasn't, God can't be the villain, but who's the orchestrator of my pain? If we see the story this way, then we're only left with seeing God as the villain because even though he may not be the orchestrator of our pain, he's certainly silent, he's certainly absent in the midst of my pain. He's telling me to go back in to that place of pain and I don't know how to deal with that. I... Is God the villain in this story? But then God steps in to this story. He steps into my story. He steps into your story. And he says that maybe you've got all the usual suspects together. You've got everyone in the room, but you've assigned the wrong roles. And that if you assign the wrong roles, you're going to end up arresting the wrong person. You're going to end up demonizing the wrong person. And just like what happened 2,000 years ago, you're going to end up crucifying the wrong person. The one who was innocent, the one who was never the villain but was always meant to play the role of the rescuer. So God does this funny thing 
where again he's saying to Hosea, there's a plot twist. And Hosea, you're not Hosea. Hosea, you're actually Gomer. That's actually who you are. This is not a choose-your-own-adventure story where you get to be the hero. But instead, this is not a hero story. This is a love story. This is a love story if you will change your perspective on what is going on here. And let me explain how this is a love story and not a hero story. A, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we had a party, a birthday party, for one of our kids called Lola. We've got a photo here. There it was. It was her first birthday. And so I posted this photo on social media and I put the caption down, my family is not normal and I love it. <laughs> and I got so many different responses. Lots of people responded, people that I don't even know. People that have had the same experience that were saying, yeah, my family is not normal and I love them too. I mean, it's kind of weird to have a party for a dog. <laughs> but it got me thinking, even though I don't share DNA with any of these people in this photo, some don't even share human DNA, but, but something about them makes me love them, makes me call them family. And so I tried to go, well, if we don't share DNA, if I wasn't there at the birth of any of these people, then what makes family, family? And as I was trying to narrow it down to its most basic essence, its most indivisible part that would make family, family, I mean, again, if we go back to the movies, it would be, you know, that if you drive around in fancy sports cars nine times, that makes you family. <laughs> but that's not what God says makes us family. This is, what I, this is what I came to when I was trying to work it out. So family are those people that share common experience from a common perspective common experience from a common perspective. And again, this week on social media, we put up a question, in our household, we? Because I was trying to get a picture for some of the things that your household does. And these were some of the responses that we got back on social media. In our household, we are never at home at the same time. In our household, we can't keep pets alive. In our household, we shoot rabbits. I'm not sure if that was from the same household as the other one. In our household, we have three people allergic to cats, but we still have a cat. In our household, we have a rule against parking in the driveway and blocking other cars but people do it anyway. In our household, we have a rule that says you have cat immunity or dog immunity that says if a cat or a dog is on your lap, you're automatically excused from doing anything. Who likes that rule? Who's making that a new rule in their household? But don't we kind of have rules in our households? Don't we kind of have things that we do? We have like a common language, a common thing that, that we kind of 
have or do in our households. And because we have a common experience from a common perspective, we're united. And the opposite is also true. So that when we have a common experience, but from a different perspective, there's relationship breakdown. Relationships are severed when we have see things from a different perspective. So from your perspective, what you were doing in that moment was trying to help someone, but they thought that you were trying to hurt them. There's a different perspective and all of a sudden relationship breaks down. I'm sure you've experienced this before. That when you've gone out and you've, one person's gone out and they've spent all the money on something that was important to them, but it's not important to me, I don't care about plants. (laughs) There's relationship breakdown. (laughs) And I think this is why, again, the pandemic has been so dividing for people. It's because we've actually all been through a traumatic experience kind of together. We've all been through a common experience, but not from a common perspective. You see, some people think that it's been the decisions of the government to come in and and bring about isolation and do all these lockdowns, that that has been the thing that has kept us safe and, and healthy. That our rates of infection are some of the lowest anywhere in the world. And from some people's perspective, that's all because of the government. But for other people, their perspective is... The government is the cause of their pain. The government is the one that's bringing about control and manipulation where it doesn't need to be there. So when we have different perspectives, we're divided. When it comes to the vaccine, some people think this is a God-given miracle that only after a, a few months that we could have a vaccine that is 92% effective at defeating this virus. That because so many scientists and doctors and nurses all stopped what they were doing and focused solely on doing this, that God poured out a miracle and that the vaccine is the biggest blessing that we have experienced. Yet others think that the vaccine is this big, you know, risk to their health. So we've been through a common experience, but there's been this different perspective on it, and so it has caused just a ripping at the fabric of society. And this was where the nation of Israel was at the time, that that the entire nation had been divided, north and south. There'd been this dividing that had come in. And so we go, okay, well, it's a really interesting observation, Josh. Yeah, I agree that maybe that is a great definition of families and what brings us together, but how does that help us mend those relationships and what does this have to do with this plot twist in the story? So let's try and bring this home. Who remembers the name of the last child? Do you remember what the name of the last child was, the third child? Lo Ami. It means not my people. Not my people. They had experienced the same household, but from very different perspectives. That every single one in that household is probably saying, these are not my people. That, that Hosea was probably saying, I'm a prophet, I'm a holy person. And, and she is a prostitute, she is not my people. And she's probably thinking, I, I'm dirty, I, I'm guilty, I, I'm filled with sin and he's a prophet. He is not my people. And, and the kids are probably sitting there and, and they're still thinking, is is he my dad? Is he not? I don't, know. I don't know if he's my dad or not. I don't know if I belong in, in this family. Maybe he is not my people. 
so everyone was there and everyone was, was fearing that. And so this family is fractured. Goma felt like so many of us that she didn't belong and so she left. But then God steps in and he makes this declaration. In verse 10, he says, Although it was said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are children. You are children of the living God. Then the people of Judah and the people of Israel, that was the two fractured nations, will come together again. So God is actually saying, Hosea, this is not your story. You are not the hero in this, that this whole story, the whole thing that I'm trying to do here, the whole thing that I'm trying to prove is I'm trying to get you to see things from a different perspective. Because if you can start to see things, not from your perspective of how you were hard done by, of how God didn't show up for you, but if you can start to see things from my perspective, then all of a sudden... That fracturing that took place in your family, the fracturing that has taken place in the nation of Israel, will all be undone, will all come untrue. When all of a sudden you can start to see things from my perspective. That I actually want to make you a family, that I actually want to bring you back together again. But the only way that I can do that is if you start to see things from my perspective. That God is not disinterested and disconnected. That I'm not the hero of this story. That this is a love story. This is trying to get the prophet Isaiah to not just align his mouth and speak the words of a prophet, but align his vision and see the future of a nation. See a future that is united. And then some of you might be going, okay, well, so if God is Hosea, then we have to be Goma. And if this is a choose-your-own-adventure story, I don't know that I like being that character, because that's the character that made the bad choices, that stuffed up, it was addicted to sin that's causing all of this mess. Unfaithful, unwise, goma. That's who you want me to be? That's the part you want me to play in this God? I knew that I was bad, but I didn't know that I was that bad. And yes, in this story, we are worse than what we ever feared. But in this story, God is better than we could have ever hoped because everything that was true of Hosea is true of God. Everything that was true of Hosea is true of God. So what that means is, is that God views his relationship with us like a marriage. That he actually stood there and he said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, I pledge my undying faithfulness to you. And that although Goma might have taken off her wedding ring God still looked down, although she might have, might have broken her covenant, although she might have broken her promise. He said, that doesn't mean that I have to break mine. When I look down, I still remember. I still remember the pledge that I made. I still remember the love that I had. That in this story, Coma may be, you know, the poorer. She may be the sick one. But in this story, 
he gets to be richer. He gets to bring the health. He gets to bring us back together. That when we start to see things from his perspective, it'll actually change the way that we do everything. That if you know that there is a God in heaven who loves you like that, that even in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your darkness, that he would burst in through everything and come and find you. Bring you back. Make your family. This is what he said in Isaiah 2. He says, however, in the future, I will allure her. I will lead her back into the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to her. God desires to speak tenderly to you. From there, I will give her, I'll give back her vineyards to her and turn the valley of trouble into an opportunity of hope. If you're feeling like that you're standing in the dark on the side of the road in that valley of trouble, then know that there is a Hosea that is coming for you to turn that valley <laughs> of trouble into an opportunity of hope. There she will sing as she did when she was young, when she came up out of the land of Egypt. At that time, declares the Lord, you will call, call me my husband. You will never again call me my master. He's speaking this over the nation of Israel. That there was something that had changed in their perspective from that time in the wilderness, from that time where he brought them out of Egypt, when they were singing and they were celebrating and they were dancing, something happened to cause this fracture that they started to not see things from God's perspective anymore. They called him Master. And what he desired more than anything else was for them not to call him master, but to see him as husband, to see him as the lover of our souls. So Hosea paid for that which always belonged to him. He paid for Goma as a slave so that she would never be a slave again. Change her perspective once and for all, so that she would not see it, because even when she was married, even when she was living in the house the first time, she still saw herself as a slave. So she went back into slavery. But now, this time, because of what Hosea did, when he could have been out, he was justified in walking away, but he stepped back in. to forever change her perspective. And God does that for us to forever change ours. If I can have the worship team come up and if I can have Belinda come up as well. Because just as we bring this thing to a close, I want to just describe kind of what's going on here because it says... that he paid for her and that he paid Let's give me that. that he paid for her he paid for her a slave's ransom a slave's wages so who did he pay that to is my question. Character that's not mentioned in the text. If you can come over here, stand next to Tim. Tim, you're an amazing, awesome worship leader. 
But right now, you're a pimp. (laughs) He owned her. She was free. She was whole. She was home. But she left home and she became enslaved that someone else would own her. This is our sin. This is our addiction. This is, this is our story. She is us. And what I love is seeing then the perspective of God and seeing what He would do. That He would come. I wish we had like saloon doors here so that I could just like burst them open burst through the doors of that brothel come in because again this this pimp he would have wanted to argue he would have wanted to say she belongs to me she's mine don't you know what she has done don't you know what she owes me just as our sin and our addiction says to us all the time but it doesn't say that Hosea says anything He simply pays the amount and takes what was always his. He pays for what was always his in the first place. Do you know that you bear the image and likeness of the living God? Do you know that you were always his to begin with, but we've gone back into that place of sin We've gone back into that place where we feel as though we are not our own, that we are owned by something, that our addictions own us, that our fears own us, that our anxiety owns us. And so we need God to come in and and in the place where our fears and our worries and our anxiety says, no, you can't have her, She's, she's mine, that he would pay a price. Now, the interesting thing is, is that it says that he paid a a slave's price. But it says very clearly in Leviticus 27, and we also see when Judas betrayed Jesus, it was the same thing, that a slave's price was 30 pieces of silver. But it said that he only had 15 pieces of silver. But it also said that he paid with a large amount of barley and wine. So to me, that says that what was happening here was Hosea was poor. That barley was what you would feed to the horses. It was a poor man's bread. So to me, it says that he went through everything that he had in his house. He only had 15 pieces of silver. So then he got the next thing, all the food that he had. And he brought that. And he still wasn't enough. So he brought all the wine that he had, all the drink that he had. So everything that he had, he brought so that he could purchase her back. And that is what Jesus did for us on the cross. That God was there and he said, I will give everything that I have. That Hosea was now starting to see the need for Jesus. Because what does the bread, the bread of life, the barley that gets turned into bread, it's his body that was broken for us. That the wine was his blood that was shed for us. This is what Jesus does for us. He bursts through the doors. He paid the price and he comes And he takes us home. This is a love story. This is where God wants you to find yourself in the arms of your loving Savior. If we can have that last scripture up before I can't hold her anymore. 
Hosea well and truly, 750 years before the cross, all of a sudden his perspective changed. From him being the victim, all of a sudden he said, come and let us return to the Lord. Let us take what is ours and let us go home. For he has torn so that he may heal us. He was stricken. He has stricken so that he may bind up. After two days, he will revive us, quicken us, give us life. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. How did he know to say that? Because he started to see what we need to see. It says, he has torn. Torn what? He has stricken. What has been stricken? It's Jesus. Jesus was torn. Jesus was stricken. This is a love story, people. This is, this is the creator of the universe pouring out his heart to you. That on the third day we may live before him, that we may gather together. So let's gather together now. Let's stand. And let's gather in his presence. Let's worship God in his presence. As he comes to rescue us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this story of Hosea. Father, we may not get to be Hosea in this story. We may not get to be the hero. But Lord, neither are we the victim. Lord, we are the rescued. Lord, we are the found. Lord, we are the redeemed. Lord, we are the treasured. Lord, we are the loved of the living God. Father, help us this morning, each and every one of us, to be found in the arms of a loving God who would love us so deeply, so much that he would leave the, the holiness and the purity of heaven, that he would bust through every door, every barrier, everything in, our, in his way to get to us, to bring us home, to see us united. Help us, Lord, to see things from your perspective that it may not only heal our broken souls, but it may heal our country, heal our land, and heal our world as we all start to see you in that rightful place as our Redeemer and the lover of our soul. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.